Integrity and Illusion. These are the two chapters I first jumped into when I received the book, Be Still and Know I Am God, The Direct Path of Self-Realization, from author and publisher Penelope Love. Penelope is also responsible for the introduction of Dr. Cause, who appeared on episode 105, Unfunk Your Gut, as well as Modern Hippie Mama, author Natalie Sagar, who appeared in episode 107. The book author for today's episode, Nick Asitano, who's the husband of Penelope Love, as well as a member of The Best and Brightest, join us for a live in-person studio recording in my South Florida home. This visit from Nick and his beautiful wife Penelope resulted in the recording of this episode in a deep dive into integrity, illusion, and enlightenment through self-inquiry, something in my opinion we all need to re-examine. In this episode, we explore questions from the collective human consciousness, answers from the infinite intelligence, and expand on the concept of meditation versus self-inquiry. Knowing that there are many chapters to the book, and covering only two of them in this episode, my plan is to further this conversation in the next chapters to follow in future episodes, all while deep diving with Nick into what is considered the God consciousness and truth. If you want to learn more about today's guest, Nick Asitano, please visit selfinquiry.com. That's S-E-L-F-I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y.com. Nick's the spiritual director at Self Inquiry Center mentioned in this podcast. New to the podcast? Check out our new website and our over 100 episodes all served and aimed to help you day in and day out. The website is complete with fully interactive calendars that support our new virtual and in-person healing sessions, life guide consultations, and only the best-in-class affiliates that you can personally incorporate into your daily lives. I continually ask this one question while building the website. What would this look like if it were simple? Here you'll find quality reviews, explainer videos, and easy button purchases to support our best-in-class affiliates, all to create the best experience for you. So be sure to check out Scott's favorites on the shopping page, and thank you for supporting our podcast and helping us make a difference in our communities. One more thing, February 7th, 2022, we'll be moving to a subscription-based model. We want to avoid ads during the episodes, and honestly, I can't stand them. I want to avoid them like the plague and any sort of corporate alignment at any cost possible. By subscribing to our podcast, you help us continue to fight the good fight, creating value and content that matters and that's truthful, and information that you can incorporate immediately into your daily life and share with family and friends. The subscription will be $4.99 a month, and I'm asking you consider signing up. Through this subscription, you'll have prime access to not only the podcast, but also full videos typically found on YouTube. We want to bring you open, uncensored content, and we believe this is the best way to share this with the best and brightest. Short clips, tips, and insights will still be available on YouTube. Please know that maybe ads there due to the YouTube algorithm. And if you want to avoid the ads, again, please consider supporting this show through a subscription come February 7th. Lastly, if you're looking for a unique way to overcome and correct various health disorders through conversation, consider signing up for my mailing list, the best and brightest YouTube channel, or follow me on Instagram so I can show you what I'm reading, what I'm thinking, and explore everyday remedies that are useful today. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Nick Ansitano in the new virtual teaching studio. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Scotty Burgess Show. We really appreciate you being here. Quick story, as always, as we make the introduction into this week's episode. Friend, who was on episode 100 and 101, John McDermott introduced me to a publicist. Her name is Penelope Love. You can find her on the Best and Brightest Facebook group. She actually introduced to us the Unfunky Gut book with Dr. Cause, also Natalie Sagar with Peaceful Mama. So she was responsible for 
bring in those two guests, which had a tremendous value to this group and what people really receive from those interviews. So Penelope, she's actually in here in studio and she texts me. She says, hey, by the way, Nick and I, her husband, are going to be coming down to Boca Raton. I said, oh, that's wonderful. We had an amazing night the other night. We just had a wonderful conversation. So which ended up turning out to be an in-studio recording with her husband, Nick. I want to introduce Be Still and Know I Am God by Nick Gantatano. And he's here today. I read two chapters. I'm completely blown away. I have one particular point that I'm really fascinated with and how he really just drove home this one point. You'll hear it. So anyways, I want to welcome Nick to the show. I really appreciate you coming and making the time. Thanks, Scott. How would you like to start off? Because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Please. I've read the two chapters on integrity and the illusion. Integrity was really fascinating to me because I believe right now, I really do believe this right now, there's a lot of people that have lost the idea and the sense of what integrity really is. Was that sitting heavy on your heart or on your soul or did it just come out? Like, how did that come about? Penelope and I, we travel around mm -hmm. a bit and we have regular sessions where we have people come and some of the people have been coming for years on a regular basis every week. And when you say come, you're talking your yoga practice? Come to our yoga. The okay. Ganana, yeah. It's a pronounced Ganana yoga and mm -hmm. this kind of question answer type part of yoga. Mm -hmm. The path of wisdom is not for everybody. There's generally two different paths to self-realization. One of them is through the path of surrender. Mm -hmm. Then the other one is through wisdom or through insight. As we started to get into this with people over the years, we started to touch on the nerves. We started to get into the deeper layers of, <laughs> of ego where people dare not tread. So you mean by there, someone getting uncomfortable? <laughs> very, very. Because everything is fine until you start pushing the real buttons, the buttons that are tied into their vasanas. Mm -hmm. And vasanas are long-held tendencies, karmic, usually carried over from past incarnations and ones that make them feel identified with their body, that make them feel, I am the flesh, I am this physical thing. As soon as you start touching on those, this is when people start to disappear. Mm. The people who were regular for years suddenly started to disappear. They what do you mean breaking. by that, by disappear? They stopped coming around. They stopped, okay. they stopped even answering phone calls to see how they're doing. Mm -hmm. They just literally disappeared. So from, in from the dating eyes. sense, it's, you got ghosted. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this is the, where the integrity came in because people sure. who would make statements who said they would do one thing suddenly started to panic mm. and not follow through on keeping their word. So this is when I saw this is time to write the chapter on integrity. This mm. is time to bring it up because without integrity, you really can't have a spiritual practice. This is something I mentioned the other day when we were together. I had someone as a client who we were helping. They started not coming. Mm. And again, it was you correct what shows up. You set the equation in. Right. I was just like, man, like, why, why is that? Like, why did they not follow through? John was like, that's a testament to you because they know that innately that you can heal them and help them, but they're not ready mm -hmm. for it yet. My point is to you is that's a testament to you that, to you both, that you really can help these people succeed in achieving what they don't know that's holding them back. We try to support them best we can and just basically be there for them with their questions. We're not here to teach anybody anything. We're not here to tell them what to do. We're here just to hold the space 
Sure. And when people come to us, they're generally friends because we like to establish friendships with people. So you know when they disappear, mm -hmm. you know that something is a problem. Right. Really, because you don't not talk with a friend unless there's something that really got triggered. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the integrity is about. The integrity is about requiring people in order to be in association with you, that they uphold the basic precepts of integrity, which is the foundation of everything. Because if you can't be honest with yourself, right. which is what integrity is, it's being integrated into the whole, recognizing your, your oneness with the whole. If you can't do that, then spiritual progress is virtually impossible. You're just basically going to walk around in circles around the mountain. Mm -hmm. You're never going to actually get around to climbing it. Right. And that's pretty much where most people are because they're involved more in a religious sense or in a philosophical sense rather than actually a diving inward sense, looking, yeah. looking inward. Yeah. Integrity. This is a, 10th edition edition to the book. Yes. Why 10 years after? Why not in the original book? What was the difference that you noticed? When the first edition was written, we lived at 9,000 feet elevation in Costa Rica. We were isolated from people. We really were not interacting with people. So interacting with people began to grow. It began to develop over time as we came back to civilization. Mm -hmm. So when we moved away, because we were growing our own food, we were living in the forest, there was nobody within a mile of us. Wow. When we came back to society, which was back in, was it 2011, 2010, we started to interact with people and they began to reveal to us the areas of unconsciousness. We began sharing the teaching to groups. And of course, over time, we would get to know people. And we were, of course, only skirting the surface. We were on the superficial level. Sure. Getting into the deeper layers of ego takes time. There needs to be a trust because people aren't going to open up to someone. Would you say trust or rapport? Trust. trust. Yeah, there, there has to be a trust. And, and report can also lead to that. Yeah, yeah. But the trust ultimately. And so once that trust began to open up, people started opening and revealing things. But of course, what people reveal about themselves is not really the truth, because if they knew the truth about themselves, there would be no need to reveal it. Sure. And I'll, so I'll to say, of course. We call that the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. They offer that up, and then they, of course, keep the real sensitive things hidden. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's important for you to have already walked the path, to know where the landmines are, so that even if they don't know where their landmines are, you can still guide them without telling them what they are because they need to discover it for themselves. And if you tell them too much, then they think that you're preaching to them mm. and then they close off. So this is why we have to remain open and allow them to just reveal it. And vibrationally, as long as you hold the space and you are abiding in the self-awareness, then the vibration of that will eventually draw it out. But once you hit the nerves, once you really hit that knot, we call it the heart knot, mm -hmm. the ego begins to contract and it begins its retreat. It starts strategizing how it's going to escape from the friendship. It begins to sabotage things that would normally be good for them. Mm -hmm. They start getting involved in addictions, addictive behaviors. They start running and they start avoiding those people that really care about them. And they gravitate toward people who are more self-destructive. Mm -hmm. 
It's a program. They don't understand it's a program. My heart is with kids. But before we get to the kids, it's with the parents. We haven't figured it all out. I mean, we we go in strides and we manage what we can at that time and at that moment the best as we can with the information that we have or what's presented in front of us, however you want to define that. For parents that are listening to this about integrity, what's the best way for them to install that integrity outside of learning it themselves first? And let's just create an equation here that they've learned or relearned or are exhibiting integrity for themselves. Scott, I think you hit it right on the head. The idea of being it yourself, Mm -hmm. saying what you mean and meaning what you say, doing what you say you're going to do without making excuses. As long as you as a parent or them as a parent, as long as they do that, the children will learn it and it will become through osmosis. It'll just be a natural, Mm -hmm. kind of like the tuning fork, you know, in science where you hit the tuning fork and then you hold up the other one and it begins to resonate at the same frequency. And the children want to align with the truth because they come in relatively empty, Mm -hmm. even though there are karmic impressions still that need to be worked out. They're still, their intention is truth. Everyone is looking for the truth. So as long as you're living it, the children will naturally exhibit that. And then addressing it when it's broken, when the integrity is violated and broken, you can ask them, how does that feel? Right. I'll give you a particular incident. There was a 14-year-old, 12-year-old, and a 16-year-old. They have a mixture of a lot of things going on, right? It revealed itself. I go, whatever that is, <laughs> get comfortable with it and trace it back to its roots. And then just forgive yourself. Just accept that thought and let it go. Later on, my daughter was like, thank you for saying that. Mm. It was just kind of cool. Yeah, that is great. I found that with that type of boldness, it actually helps really, really well. Sometimes it doesn't because mm. people get that shock like you're talking about. They may not be ready for it. That is something that I sometimes have a hard time with me personally is because that's that's me. If something's there, you take care of it. Boy, I'd shelf it. Shelving stuff has caused rotational energy, not vertical energy, and that comes out in a different way. No more shelving. We deal with it. Correct what you find. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a saying. I think it's Voltaire. I'm not certain. But he says, if you're going to tell people the truth... You better make them laugh or they'll, right. or they'll kill you <laughs> because most people, it's too comfortable to skirt around it, to touch it, but not go into it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and they yeah. think they're clearing it because they hear it or because they talk about it. Right. But unless you look at it, unless you have the courage, unless you have the warrior mentality, the mm-hmm. willingness to sit with it and immerse yourself and look right at it. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's just going to remain a philosophical thing, a discussion that you have, you know. And of course, nowadays, a lot of people like to, they're all gathered around the word woke. Right. You know, the philosophy of being woke. And of yeah. course, being woke is not enlightened. Woke is a philosophical discussion where people think that if they challenge the old and threaten the old things that did work, that they've somehow woken up to the truth. Whereas enlightenment is abiding in the heart, the radiance of the heart, where the ego is completely 
subjected to right to annihilation. Yeah. And of course, there's a difference. So we like to educate people also on what the distinctions between the two. And I think that's a real important thing for people in the world today. Having a glimpse of self-awareness is not enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Abiding in it perpetually is. And so I think that's important mm-hmm. because a lot of people, they quit. They think they having attained it they, they or, or glimpsed it, that they've reached it. And so they stop their sod and they stop their practice. They mm. stop dedicating themselves to it and they get completely caught up in, in the world of things and entangled in materialism, which is, of course, a huge right. detriment. So, One of the things that, again, really stood out is when thoughts come in, this is what a lot of people's minds get scrambled with. Like you think you need to do something with that thought mm. versus just observing it. So, oh, look at that see where it goes, and literally will lead to somewhere. I'm going to read a, a part of the book in the illusion chapter, brought me right to the heart. I was like, wow, look at that semantic mapping. That's amazing. Just like that. So to answer the first question with the integrity part with the kids, as you do, as they will respond for the most part. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's simple. Yeah, it also keeps On paper. You. <laughs> Plus, nobody wants to be preached to and nobody wants to be nagged. However, if they don't, if they don't respond and they still want to stay around me, and I say, if you don't want to, you know, have integrity, that's fine. Mm. We don't have a problem with that, but don't come around here. Early in this journey for me, I said to study in NLP and great course. John Overdorf was the instructor. Again, just talking about words and language and everything about that form of communication and expression. So he specifically said that less than 7% of our verbal communication is through words. One of the things I had, not anymore, because I have the understanding of it, so now I'm trying to project that out or have it better understood that way, is I often make mistakes with my words. And Well, not now. In the past, I did Words can get messy. Then the thought behind it, let's really expand on that. The thought behind it, the intention behind that, the program behind those words of what may come up, it's pretty dynamic. Talk about that for a minute because when we talk about the word being impeccable, and we may have the right intention, but vocabulary, choice, tone, all the rest of it, how does it all mix in together? Ramana Maharshi, who is my teacher, he said that. Silence is the perennial flow of language. Hmm. And so everything comes back to the silence. Yeah. Because when you disengage the intellect, you automatically turn inward. Mm -hmm. The words, they go out, whereas the ears, they draw in, they bring attention inward. And so the processes of turning attention inward not toward bringing it outward, because as you bring it outward, you create more mental activity. Mm-hmm. More mental activity means more confusion. And so whenever there's confusion, there's going to be problems and frustration. One of the doctors we studied under, mm-hmm. and I actually found this to be true, is the more confused I am, the better learning I achieve. Because there's no map mm-hmm. of what this will look like. Go down the road, take a left, go quarter mile, go up, take a right, take a half turn, and go somewhere. So when I'm in a confused state, 
then I'm not bound by here's what the rule set is, <laughs> whatever that rule set may be. It's what comes up. So for an example, in a healing session, we'll just find a way into the void, into the vortex. Once we're in, right, once we get the person to allow us in, then we start picking up what's what's to be found. Okay, the quadrant one, two, three, four. Okay, what's in quadrant four? Okay, boom. What's in relationship two? And then we start playing and exploring what rotation, what vortex spin. This is the stuff that uh, John has taught me a lot of and still to this day. So when I say we, I'm referring to he and I. That idea right there with confused state, is there a different understanding of it? Or is that what you mean? Do you really mean by when someone's confused, it leads to more problems? Yeah, no, I'll just share from my own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a physics, chemistry, physiology teacher, and I was highly intellectual. My father was intellectual and, you know, that type of thing. And so I was raised thinking that I could solve my problems by knowing things through Mm -hmm. knowledge. And granted, some knowledge is essential. It's necessary. But for the most part, and this is also something Ramana Maharshi said, is that all knowledge is learned ignorance. James Altucher just said that in a mm-hmm. book that Michelle just read again. And it was just fascinating because if you haven't read this book yet, I really recommend the audio mm-hmm. because he's extremely witty. And I laughed more than half of the book because he's <laughs> just that witty. Good. But he said quite clearly, he says, look, and she just read it yesterday. She says, if you're speaking, you're not learning. Your brain is still. Like, it's just blank. When you're quiet, only then are you learning and observing and growing. And receiving. And receiving, yeah. What we do is we use what's called the self-inquiry process. Mm-hmm. Self-inquiry process is very simple. With every thought that arises, you ask yourself, who's aware of this thought? The answer is always going to be, I am. Mm-hmm. You then bring attention back to I. So now you withdraw your attention away from second and third person, and you bring it back to first person, mm-hmm. I. It immediately disengages the mind. It's the off switch to the mind, to the intellect. And then you come into the heart, and you begin to enter the spiritual dimension, the spiritual heart, where all true wisdom is gained. Mm-hmm. And then you, you inquire. Who am I? Who is this I? (laughs) And as soon as you go there, as soon as you begin to look there, everything is available to you. And you don't have to try to figure it out, and you don't have to argue, and you don't have to contemplate. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to have a good memory. Like, I never write anything down. Because... anymore. It just throw it up on display, and when you need it, just recall it back down. Exactly. My mother saw that the other day. Yeah. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just throwing it up on display. And she's like, you're not writing it down? I go, no, I, I got mean, it. If I'm not coming from my own experience, then what am I really sharing with these people? Mm. Then I just become a monkey, just regurgitating what I read in a book, memorizing like most right. of the kids in, yes. in traditional education where they're mm-hmm. taught to memorize and recall. And that's a form of learning. But it's not the highest right. stage of learning. So, so we try to inform people and teach them, you know, look, don't get caught up in just reading a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Be very, very specific with what you put into your mind because it's like the type of food you put into your body. Right, right, right. I found that when I go into a new book or a new video or something where a new coursework that I'm experiencing, I don't forget everything else. 
but I really dive deep into that. And I'm all about that topic point. And I didn't even know I did this until Michelle pointed it out. She's like, yeah, like what happened to all the other things? I'm like, uh, they're still there on the sideline right now. At some point during that experience of that new learning, for example, uh, Bruce Lipton, change your environment, change your life. Okay. So great concept, great idea, epigenetics. I understood where he was coming from. So most would start at the physical. So I said, okay, what about the metaphysical? What about the spiritual? What about the emotional? What about the headspace? And so I just took that concept of change your environment, change your life, and then applied it to different parts of our own physiology, our own interactions. And then I started stringing it together with other techniques, and then everything opened wide up. So I want to read something because there's two things that stood out. So I'm going to read the beginning of the illusion and then there's a point on page 150 that I was like. <laughs> so my actually, my first question before I go into this, you have it set up in the book where someone's asking you a question, you're given an answer. Who's the person asking the question? The collective human consciousness. It's a channel okay. of the human collective consciousness. So information coming in and you're just replying back. Yes. Okay. This chapter, More Than Integrity, is ultra important because this is, I think, the pathway to the authentic self. Yes. What was beautiful about how you did this, I have never read where someone walks you through the path. And what you did so brilliantly, you invited them into the void, into the vortex. You very pleasantly didn't allow them to leave through their own question asking. And I was like, wow, I like, look what he is doing. It's kind of like paint that we talked about the other day. You have this big canvas you just over here, and then you explode it into a 3D hieroglyphical view or a 4D view, and you just start stringing together all these different parts, always leading back to center. It was really well done. I was like, wow, look at that. Is it true that all form and experience is an illusion? That was the question. That depends on what you call an illusion. Most religious call what they cannot comprehend as an illusion. Yet one knows what is real, knows the illusion is the play between form and the formless. So even the formless sustains space of the function of expressing form, making all part of the illusion. An illusion does not mean something is not here. This is where a lot of people get stuck is the physical, the, what you can touch, feel, smell, all the five senses, right? But that what is here is not what it may seem. So it is wisdom that allows one to recognize the something in nothing and nothing in something. Because the space between things is not actually empty, but full of life, a propulsing potential awaiting expression. And then you go into the chapter and you're talking about specifically that there is something between my face and this airspace and that airspace. In that airspace. And then once you look past that, you can start to see it. I'll start with the easy one, the low-hanging fruit. Why did you feel you had to write about the illusion to tell people, not that it's not real, that this is all not what they think it is? The most important thing that I found, and again from, for myself, was to recognize the impersonal nature of who and what you are, that mm -hmm. you are not really a person. Because as long as you think you're a person, then you think you're a separate individual cut off from the rest of existence. 
And as long as you think you're a person, you can't know that you're consciousness. You can't think that you're a physical, solid, separate individual and realize that you're the underlying substratum of all of existence. Mm -hmm. You can't think two at the same time. Neither is wrong. But one of them is the state of liberation, and the other one is the stage of entanglement or suffering. Mm -hmm. So as long as you think you're your body, then you're subject to all the things that the body would be subjected to. And so once you disidentify with the I am the body thought, which is the ego, Mm -hmm. the I am the body thought, you should certainly take care of the body, love the body, nourish it, and all these things, but make no mistake, you are not that. You are the underlying consciousness that's aware of the body. Mm -hmm. And so once we make that distinction, once we make that recognition, then we're on our way to being free. And so that's where the illusion comes in. Once you recognize that this is like a dream, it's really the outplaying of a dream, very much like if you were in sleep and you were dreaming and suddenly someone comes in The way it happened with me is one day I was actually standing on a garbage can with a metal pole and I was breaking a window. I was, I don't even know why I was doing that. It was a dream and shattered the window. And the moment I shattered the window, I woke up and I suddenly was lying there in my bed. So I went from standing in an alley, standing on a thing, breaking it to suddenly being lying there. I was like, what just happened here? I'm, I'm, I'm not there anymore. I'm here. Mm-hmm. None of that is here. Where did that world go? Yeah. It disappeared. It wasn't real. And I believed so much in my heart that it was real at the time that I began to question my waking state. And I began to recognize, I began to look deeper, and I had the intention to know how and what is all of this? And mm-hmm. I began to question the nature and the reality of it. And then one day, I was walking on the beach, and I had inquired into the question, who am I, that I mentioned earlier. And I was at Hollywood Beach on the boardwalk. And as I was walking, there was an explosion in my consciousness, and suddenly everything was transparent. Mm-hmm. It, it, I could see through it all. It was all light. And I realized nothing was really solid. Right. It's all a dream. It just seems to be more dense than a dream, lasting longer, but it's not real. And then there was this deep sense of bliss that what you would most people would probably call God. The heart was wide open. It was all pervasive. The light of that, like Christ Jesus said, um, you are the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I knew what he meant, hmm. because you are the light of the world. Once you have access to that I, once you question the I, which is the individual separate sense of me, that I am the body, once that dissolves, once that disappears, you realize you're all of it. But as long as that separate individual exists, you can't see beyond the illusion. The illusion has to be shattered. Mm -hmm. And then once that's shattered, then the reality emerges and reveals itself. Again, the brilliance of this chapter, you walking through the process of understanding the illusion, getting to the authentic self, again, brilliant. Then how can things exist? The first question, you're telling me this is real? (laughs) And the first thing they do is they go and they grab or pinch or slap something, right? A person. 
They can't. They only appear to exist as thoughts. Hence, there is no world as you know it. The more aware of the now one is, the less solid that matter appears. So matter more closely resembles a space between objects and all can be felt as the one casual substance of creation. This is significant because perhaps the greatest obstacle to deliberate creation is not knowing that you are the substance you are creating with consciousness itself. Extremely powerful. Knowing this, the creator and creation are one, which is the reason why it works. In a sense, you are which is the reason why it works. In a sense, you are molding the universe out of yourself which is precisely why there are no lines of distinctions or division. Okay, so let's break that down. And then we'll walk people through. You're telling me this is real, right? But that, I was like, I'm thinking of the question. I'm going, man, he just put me right back in. Because I'm reading the question, thinking I'm coming out of the illusion. It really wasn't. You're just playing with me like a string as I'm reading the book there. And I was really enjoying it. And then being everywhere at the same time of being nowhere your turn <laughs> in order to see the the non-reality of physicality i like to use science mm -hmm. if you were to say for instance make a duck out of bb's little gold bb's i asked them would it be a duck or would it be something made out of a lot of BBs. And they would say, well, it's made out of BBs. It's not a real duck. It's mm -hmm. just made of... But because they can't see the BBs with regard to the body, which are essentially the atoms. So if we were to take something and make it out of trillions of atoms and combine it in the shape of a human being, would that make a human being? Or would it make a bunch of atoms? And of course, they have to say, wow, it's just a bunch of atoms. Right. They're all lumped together. They're all held together by different forces. But there's really no such thing as a separate individual. Because if it gets cold in here, like right now the air conditioning is on, as the air is cool, the body becomes cool because mm -hmm. there's really no boundary. The energy flows through back and forth, through in and out of the atoms and out of them. And so there really is no such thing as a separate you. And if we were to take your atoms one at a time and pull them out of your body and look for you, we would never actually find you. Hmm we would end up with nothing. Right. And so there's an underlying intelligence that moves everything. It moves it in accordance with the infinite intelligence, not in accordance with the individual so-called free will, which is an illusion. Because free will is just an illusion made up by the ego to create the idea that it's a separate individual. So where have you found then that a lot of people get stuck, caught, have trapped energy, where you break them out one by one in the cell, and there's nothing left. Right. Where do they get caught thinking that, yeah, this is something? Well, we don't engage them in that. We take them immediately to the I thought. Mm -hmm. As long as that I thought is intact, then the ego stays intact. But once the not, once the I, I is felt as a knot in the right side of your chest. So like if you were to point at me and you pointed your finger, it would be pointing externally, but if you pointed back toward yourself, most people point here, the right side of the chest. And if you were to go look through scriptures, including the Bible, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 2, it all says the fool's heart is to the left, but the wise man's heart is to the right. Mm. 
Hmm. And it's pointing to that because the heart really refers to where consciousness, which is sentient, enters the insentient or inert body and makes it appear alive. It animates it and moves it. And so if you inquire, who am I? The knot, which is felt in the chest, becomes undone. Mm-hmm. Because what you resist persists, but what you look at disappears. Right. So by looking at the eye thought, the eye sense, it begins to unwind. And as it becomes unwound, the knot becomes unwound and all disease disappears. That's an important statement you said, what you resist persists. Yeah. In the illusion chapter, you spoke to just observing. How do we get, I don't want those thoughts. I don't want those thoughts. Okay, don't have the thoughts. Just observe them. And that's where getting comfortable. So mm-hmm. Michelle and I would have uh, just discussions about different topic points. I'm like, I'm very comfortable in this space. Mm-hmm. I don't get distracted or a thought that comes through. I'll just sit there and I'll notice it. And I go, oh, okay. And I'll just take a look and I'll feel where my energy is gravitating towards it. Sometimes I'll grab it, put it back in if mm-hmm. I find it drifting away. But that's where a lot of people I feel get hung up is they have these thoughts that come in because the biggest complaint against meditation is how do you get rid of all these thoughts? How do you calm the brain down? <laughs> and the simplest I've heard so far is we had a gentleman on the show. His name is Tim James. He says, focus on the wall across from you and imagine there's a mouse hole and you're a cat waiting patiently. Just take your eyes off of everything else. Just focus on that mouse hole. Mm -hmm. And it works really, really well. And to get you, again, can't start until you begin just to get get that process going, just to clear that, oh, I I was sitting up how long? Three, four minutes? Mm -hmm. That's a long time for some people. Yes. So meditation and self-inquiry are somewhat different. Mm -hmm. Meditation is giving attention to one thing to the exclusion of all other things. So in this way, you don't have a lot of thoughts coming in, you only have the one. And so in that doing, the other thoughts, because of lack of attention, they begin to drop away Mm. and the mind thins out. But you still end up with a duality. So this is a, this is a a, a rudimentary uh, form of meditation where you focus on a chakra, you focus on your breath, you focus on a thought, an emotion, a part of the body, Mm -hmm. if you want to heal it or something to that effect, which these things are all effective. But in order to lead to what we call self-realization, you're not giving attention to, to an object because as long as you're meditating on something, that something becomes an object. Sure. You remain the subject. So now the subject and the object are separate. I'm here looking at this. There's a duality. And that's where the ego hides. And so meditation does not lead to self-realization. However, if you turn your attention back toward the subject, so the subject is now meditating on the subject. There's one. Mm, There it is. And this is why the question, who am I, Mm -hmm. is so powerful and why most people don't want to go there. Do you think it's fair, though, to say that a lot of people don't want to go there because not only do they get scared or they may not even know, but again, the integrity of the parents when they were young. This is something that I do believe in, I do believe is true, is that when we are a quadriplegic baby and the only thing that really works for us are our eyes mm. externally. Everything's mm. working internally. And we're observing our parents. Yeah. And we're taking all that data in. 
And if they don't have that integrity and that impeccable word, right. then how is it then self-realized later on? So it's kind of like a miss in a way. So I'm looking at it from that way saying, okay, yes, there is the intelligence. And if someone's not taught or saying, slow down for a minute and pay attention to this over here, this could be the all. They ignore it, especially when they're a kid because they're easily distracted. It's like my cat right now. Uh, it's a six-week-year-old cat. Everything grabs its attention. Oh, what's this? Oh, play. What's that over there? It, it's, it just keeps bouncing around and just having a ball and having fun all day, which is beautiful. Right. If someone, again, is not taught and all the distractions. So meditation is nothing more than, going back to your point, than a step to the inner self-inquiry. Yeah, it's a step that will, it will get them to disidentify with many things that they were giving mm -hmm. attention to. So if they were heavily conditioned, then this will help them to break free of a lot of their conditioning. And yeah. so this is kind of in the beginning, but then eventually they're going to get to a stage where they're going to have to bring their attention toward the more gross mind. Not to pick on the religions, but mm -hmm. to identify where they are. A lot of that is conditioning. Yes. It starts at a really young age. But some thoughts are more helpful than mm -hmm. others in breaking your bondage right. and disentangling from the bondage of it. So let's walk somebody through. So someone, they are practicing meditation and they're like, look, I'm just, I got to a stuck point. They're not really doing the self-inquiry. So let's right. walk them through how you did it in the book so brilliantly. And again, for those who don't understand the void, the void is the space between here and there and nowhere. <laughs> it's just a peaceful, we'll put a link to the link where life after death video, where someone just explains just the beauty of it. That's the best way I'm going to describe it to somebody until they read the book. Book does a better job, frankly. You're in the void, you keep them there, and you quite literally walk them from what I just said in that, that statement from, okay, I'm stuck in a meditation point. How do I get to the inner self-work? to now become one versus living in duality. Let's just start with the very simplicity of your traditional meditation that's being taught, commonly in yoga and vipassana, where there's just watching the breath. Mm -hmm. Breathe in through the nose. Exhale maybe through the mouth. Mm -hmm. And with each exhale, you feel the body release. With each exhale, you feel the stress pouring out of the fingers and the feet. And you're in a room that's pitch black. It's so dark in the room that you can't even see your fingers in front of your face. You can't see any light. There's no doors, no windows. And someone outside of the room says, Hey, is my book in there? Now, of course, you can't see anything and you're not aware of anything. So you say, 
They don't know. But then they say to you, are you in there? I am. Hmm. That was fun. And you make the distinction between being aware of objective reality and subjective awareness of being. And because you're not aware of physical things, because physical things are impermanent, but that which you are aware of as yourself, are you in there? Yes, I am. Yeah. Is eternal. And that's the reality. And that's the underlying current that everything is floating in. And so you make a distinction so that people can not get caught up in meditating, but in self inquiry, which is questioning this I, because once the not becomes unwound, once this I starts to come unwound, the vasanas, which are long held tendencies, which for who knows, in, I mean, unlimited amounts of time, have become ingrained in what we call the jiva or the soul, the individual soul. They get entangled, and then, of course, they outpicture into a physical body. Once that knot becomes disentangled, once it gets burnt through inquiry into it, into the eye, the knot comes undone, and the entire ball of yarn becomes unwound. And then the heart radiates. Hmm. The divine love that Christ and Buddha and the So right there in that moment, he asked, are you in there? In my hemp, of course I am. Then, when I went back, within the matter of thought, and so everyone needs to know that there is something faster than the speed of light, speed of thought, so you all know, just get that out of the way. So, I immediately went, of course I am, and went right back in, and my heart was radiating white everywhere. I wasn't like in physical form, like I could see myself glow. It was at particular points. It was a couple fingers there, a couple toes there, I could see this kneecap. It was, oh, okay. And it came on and off at will. And then, that quick. and then beyond that, you would say, now who's aware of the fingers and the toes? Mm. I am. Who am I? And then that takes it in deeper until there's no world. Mm. There's no universe. And that's the trick to levitation. Beyond that. Beyond that. Because yeah. now there's nothing to even levitate. Mm. And that's where levitation can become an obstacle. Right. Because now there's still form. And so you go beyond that. You keep going, well, who's aware of that? I am. Who am I? And then. Wow. And that's where it gets. And this is where most people quit because they start to experience the bliss in the body sense and they become addicted to it. This is why many people get addicted to hatha yoga because they feel the expansion. They Mm -hmm. feel the bliss of that, but it's beyond that. And this is where you keep saying, okay, now who's aware of the body? Who's aware of the bliss? I am. So where I find that extremely helpful right away, at any moment, based on the external, if somebody is not connected or gets caught in a trap, I get caught in traps all the time. But within, I don't even know how long that was, in a sense of time, or maybe 10 seconds, 15 seconds, roughly, that would be really helpful at a stoplight, Someone's going for a walk. They walk out of an environment. They walk into a different room, reset, go back. So it really is a really effective, quick reset of getting rid of the false self, the ego, coming back to center. And they can reintroduce themselves back into 
which is really interesting because there, there are some books that I've read that said that in relationships, for example, that if there's a disagreement, if you walk away for five seconds or just pause for five seconds or just allow five seconds to happen, when you go back to where you were, 90% of where you were is gone anyways. It's vapor. Yeah. That's where I'm stringing that together. And that's what I mean specifically where I would get into. So I was all in on your guidance. Like everything else was on the sideline. And then as soon as they come out, I go, oh, that's interesting. And I start stringing together. I'm like, ah, oh, that's where it's effective. Because again, I'm really passionate about helping people where they get stuck and getting past it because there are a lot of traps outside that you may not be aware of. And it's just little techniques to help people throughout the day based on where they are at that moment in their life. It's a cool thing. Mm -hmm, yes. Yeah, that was really interesting. Eventually, it goes from you being in the world mm -hmm. to the world being in you. Right. Because mm -hmm. everything flips inside out. Right. Upside down and backwards. And that's that's when the not, the sense of me, the not, is seen to be the illusion it is. It allows you to function, to be in the world, but not of it. Yeah. To be able to function with the world, but to not be the doer. To realize everything is happening. Because the infinite intelligence that makes up everything knows what everything else is doing because it's infinite. All pervasive. What was really interesting, too, in the illusion chapter that really stood out was that you talked about what people would call manifestations. Some may allude to this a little bit before uh, in some different books I've read, but you said if you imagine it as it is happening, not has happened or a pipe dream, yeah, that's physically going on right now, it will show itself. It will happen. It was really distinct. That you brought that out because I really haven't heard of it that way before. So let's put a scenario to it. I want to get an A in my test. If you see yourself getting an A in your test, not a hundred, an A to the range. That's the idea, anyways, that I took from the book was to see it happening, not have it happened, which is the past, or happening in the future sense. It's happening now, right now, it's happening, and then it will show itself. For someone who is looking to have a change, a change in what I would call a change in sign, something that's going to move them from the bumpy road to the smooth road, see themselves say, oh, the road's getting softer. Oh, look at that. Okay. Oh, my steering wheel's not shaking as much. It's getting smoother. And then all of a sudden, it's just cruising. In order for me to fully explain this, mm -hmm. uh, for it to make sense, is to understand the notion of free will because free will factors into this. The idea of being a separate individual creating something or having something manifest is really partially true, but also not true. Mm -hmm. In other words, let's take a look at free will before we go into that. So the question is, you ask someone, do you have free will? Most people say yes. Mm -hmm. That's what we've been told. Right. But if I say to you, okay, when your eyes are open, do you have to try to see or does seeing just happen? It just happens. To my knowledge, anyways. Right. It's just happening, right? It's always right. there. It's always turned on. If I make a noise, if I knock on the door in your sleep, you weren't trying to hear it, but you heard it. 
So you hear without trying to hear. If I poke you with a pin, you don't have to try to feel it. You just feel it. Mm -hmm. Same with smell and taste and so on. So you don't have control over your senses. Your senses are always switched on. Your awareness is always switched on. And so you have no control over your senses. And so then the question goes, okay, let's go to your mind. Do you have control of your thoughts? And most people say, well, yeah, of course I do. Say, well, do you? Because if you do, you would never have a thought you didn't want to have. Right. And you would only have thoughts you do want to have. Some people call that psychosis. Because <laughs> yeah. one moment your mind is completely vacant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly a thought pops in. Where did it come from? Right. And how did it get there? And why then? Why not three seconds earlier? Why does it sometimes seem like it happened too soon and sometimes too late? So you don't have control over the input. Right. Which is very vitally important because yeah. if you don't have control of the input, then you don't have control of the output. The same one that has control of the input has control of the output. If you have no control over your senses and you have no control over what thoughts come into your head, then if you have no control over your thoughts, how can you have control over your bodily actions? Because your thoughts precede your actions. Even, now let's just say we have voluntary actions and involuntary. The involuntary ones are just happening. Sure. You know, your heart's pumping, your digestion, your, you know, this mm -hmm. is happening. But what about the voluntary, the apparent voluntary? Well, then you're waiting for thoughts. But we just said you don't have control over the thoughts. So if you have no control over the thoughts, then you don't have control over the bodily actions. Because they precede the action. So this is where people get all bogged down and stressed out. They actually believe they have free will. They believe they have volition. They believe that they're choosing to do all these things and making it happen. When in reality, it's the infinite intelligence that knows everything that's doing everything. Mm. As you're explaining that, here's where I'm going. I'm saying, okay, so the infinite intelligence is then coordinating me to coordinate this studio right now. <laughs> yes. And that thought right there would stop most people dead center. Boom. What do you mean? Like, I'm not in control of that? And then again, when I go back to that moment where I was setting this room up, I wasn't in control. I was just doing something that I really thought I, had, I was aware of, but it really wasn't. Because you think about how many variables, mm. infinite variables, where each finger was, where each toe was, where your foot and your knee was, and where you were positioned in the room, and all the different things that were moving. And then the body was breathing at the same time. Right. The neuron, inner neuron firings, and the number of thoughts that have to occur. And it happens without effort, without thinking about any of it. It's all just going on. And so people can relax once you realize that. You can just take it easy and let things happen naturally kind of like an athlete on the field. Right. If you have to think about what you're doing, it's too late. Yeah, you're not going to perform You, well. you miss yeah. the block or you mm -hmm. miss the catch. You don't turn around in time. It's just going to happen naturally. So yeah. then how would you go into the question of practice is the mother of all skill? You have to pretend like you have free will. Got it. Even though you don't. You still have to act because in the action of that, that's also the infinite intelligence putting that into effect. Mm. So otherwise you could become... Hence the illusion. Yes, exactly. Otherwise you become apathetic. 
you know, because I can't do anything, so I'm not going to do anything. And then yeah. you starve to death or you lose your job or whatever because you don't go to work and all that. So yeah. there's got to be the sense that there is action that's required, but just understand that me as a separate individual is not doing it. The whole existence is doing it. The mm. ocean is moving the fish. The fish are not moving independently of the ocean. Yeah, it's all together. That's right. All right. I have two ending questions, staples. How do you keep yourself educated? Where are you focusing your book, your audio, your podcasts? Where are you learning from? Personally, professionally? Well, that's a great question because we recently just put the name on the book. The book was anonymous for 10 years. Oh, wow. There was no marketing. There was none at all. And so recently, Penelope and I, we discussed it would be able to help more people and reach a broader audience were we to put a name on it. We went with a large publishing house, and they did not want it to be anonymous. Watkins of London, which is the largest spiritual book. And we went with them and we were published, but they didn't do much. But they did ask us to put the name on it. So we reflected back on that and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to put the name on it and we're going to see if it makes it easier for people to recognize and interact with a person that has a name versus one that doesn't because I couldn't really do speaking engagements. This is virtually the first one. That's cool. Yeah. You get to leave the audience. With your last words, what would you like to tell them? Just love everyone, like yourself. Mm. Just don't take things serious. Don't take them personal. And keep your attention on I, and everything else will take care of itself. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you, oh, Scott. You're welcome. Thank you. Wow. And the words are still sticking with me for a moment. Thank you all for showing up again. We appreciate you. We'll make sure that the information for Nick's book is on the podcast notes as well. Any questions, let us know. You know where to reach us. We'll see you for the next one. Take care. Boom. Very nice. Wonderful. Scott. Very, very nice. You did a wonderful you interview. Oh, thank you. Wonderful. appreciate that. Even though I haven't done them because of Anonymous, I did a lot of interviews when I was an athlete. And when I was with the company, I did a lot of interviews. But this was really high quality. Oh, class. thank you. Had a nice feel. Too. Yeah. I sit in this seat here as an audience member. Most of the time, I won't even read two chapters. I'm like, let's talk about that. And I just go with what comes in. Mm. Really kind of, kind of like how you answered your questions. Mm. The collective consciousness. For more information on Nick Gassitano, please visit the Self-Inquiry Center at selfinquiry.com. That's S-E-L-F dash I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y.com. Don't forget, you can find all of our 114 episodes at scottyburgess.com and the follow-up conversations are shared in our Facebook community group, The Best and Brightest. From all of us, we thank you for your continued support. We'll see you for episode 115. See you there.